Well, welcome to what's got to be the most exciting place on the planet right now, and one of the warmest places on the planet. I'm glad y'all finally stopped singing because you were heating it up with all that hot air in here. I'm glad you uh, slowed down a little bit. All preachers can probably equal that with the hot air, but we'll we'll try not to make that the case tonight. So glad you're here. I want to say there's probably a number of you that come from some pretty tough environments, maybe a tough home situation. This might seem a strange environment to you. And I want you to know you're around a lot of people who love you. And you might look around and see, man, I don't know if these are, are my kind of people or not. We're, we're all the same kind of people. And, and what helps us is coming together at a time like this and letting God speak to our hearts and do something significant. And uh, I, I'm so glad to have our youth group back here. I've been gone for a month on a sabbatical and, and just really got back yesterday. And uh, you know, don't tell the rest of Bible Baptist Church, but those, that's my favorite part of Bible Baptist Church right back there. I have the privilege every Sunday afternoon from 4 to 5 o'clock to spend time with our 9th through 12th grade boys. We call them do-right gang. That's not because they always do right, but that's what we're trying to get them to do is do right. And uh, we're in some ways, my favorite part of the week is to spend it with them because I, I love our young people so much. And so good to see you all again. And, uh, and I, I, I know that many of your pastors feel the same way. And so... Uh, I, I want to try to deal with this subject, and it, it's, a, it's a challenging one to deal with because there's a whole lot of stuff being said about gender these days. I want to say it biblically, I want to say it fairly, but you've got to realize this is not a politically correct zone because this is not a political issue. It's a biblical issue. And there's a lot going around about politics, but we need to be sure that what we believe is true. You have to decide what you're going to believe is true, but that doesn't change what's true or not, what the Bible says is true. And so I want to try to come across this way as best I can and, and make it clear. And I'm going to ask you to be open-minded, not open-minded like the world tells you to be. I want you to be open-minded to the Word of God. And I trust that you will allow that to happen. I'm going to ask you not to stand right now, but I want you to turn to do two different places in your Bible. Turn to the first chapter. Genesis chapter 1, and then turn to Romans chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 and Romans chapter 1. And I'm going I'm to beg you to pay attention and, and follow me. I'm not going to give you some kind of ear candy. You're going to have to follow the line of thought. I'll try to make it as clear as I can. We'll be at these texts. It'll be a little while before we get there. I want to pray, and then I want to start off with... a. A narrative, a little bit of a story that you'll understand within just a few lines what it's talking about. And then I want to try to draw a progression that's taken place through America and how we got to where we are. And I hope that you'll pay attention. I know that you will, and I appreciate that. Let me pray, and we'll begin. Father, we're so grateful that we don't have to wonder what is true, that you give it to us in your word. And that by faith we can have great confidence in it. Or there's a lot of confusion, as Brother Gaddis has already said, about so many issues. But this area really seems to be at the forefront of what's happening in our nation and in our culture. And I think the scripture is clear as to why that is. And I pray that we would not just see it as some political rumblings, or just some people having some ideas and trying to promote it, I pray that we would have your mind and that we would be wise enough to see 
what really takes place because we understand your word and what you said. Lord, I want to be clear, and I I ask you to help me make it that that it's easy to grasp even though there are so many voices and that your voice would win out tonight. And then I pray that there would be no youth here tonight who would assume that this is completely clear in their mind and they don't have to worry about it. The influence is so strong and Satan is so deceiving. And some of the best young people that people would say, well, they're just the best that we have in five or ten years could be something completely different if this isn't clear in their mind. So I pray that, that even at invitation time, there would be a desire to be sure that we commit to your plan and your design in our life. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. During an 80-minute period of time, it took about 80 minutes, on the morning of April 15th, 1912, four words were were repeatedly hollered out in the midst of a freezing panic. These four words illustrated one of the richest expressions of of gender that our country's ever known. Those four words and what those four words represented led to hundreds of acts of valiant courage. Things that we cannot imagine that people would give themselves to all because of what these four words represented. The scene was the deck of the Titanic. And the four words were these, women and children first. And what followed those words were heroic acts of bravery that have been talked about ever since that time. Dan Marvin loaded his bride onto a lifeboat, blew her a kiss and said, it's all right, you go and I'll stay a while. Adolf Diker helped Mrs. Diker across the gunwale with a cheery, I'll see you later. Dr. Minahan told his wife, honey, be brave. No matter what happens, be brave. Then he stepped back and joined the other men on the deck. Mr. Terrell Cavendish said nothing to his wife, just a kiss, a long look, another kiss, And then he disappeared into the crowd. Mark Fortune and his son Charles placed Mrs. Fortune and their three daughters onto a lifeboat and waved goodbye for the last time. Walter, you must come with me, begged Mrs. Douglas. No, Mr. Douglas replied, turning away. I must be a gentleman. Now, you need to understand this. Men who knew they were going to die not only placed their wives and their children on those few lifeboats, but insisted the same for women that they did not even know. Now, you need to grasp the importance of that. They didn't say, well... I'll give you my place on the lifeboat because I know you and I think you're worthy. 
They were deemed worthy for one reason, their gender. She was a woman. And a man decided she deserves my place on the lifeboat, never having met her before. As a result of the 1,503 people who died on the accident of the Titanic, 1,503 died. 1,347 were men. 13 men to every woman died. Many men who were finally given permission to board the lifeboats refused simply because they were convinced there were still women below who were trying to get up to the top to get those places. And so some of the places in the lifeboats went unfilled. And so many stories dictate that was the reason why. A little bit later when they were dealing with some of the aftermath of the Titanic, one of the surviving ship's officers was asked if women and children first was a law of the captain or the law of the sea. And he responded, sir, women and children first is a law of nature, meaning a law of God, that that's just the way things are supposed to be. That was 1912. 1994, a different ship, the Estonia. The Estonia broke up and 852 died on the breakup of the Estonia. One survivor called it the law of the jungle as she watched a lady with two broken legs beg a man passing by for his life jacket. Other survivor quotes were these, hey, it's survival of the fittest. This time, 90% of the survivors were men because it was survival of the fittest. Roger Cohen of the International Maritime Organization said when he was asked a similar question decades later at the time of this breaking up, his quote is this, there is no law that says women and children first. That is something from the age of chivalry. These two incidents demonstrate a significant change in what we respect or disrespect in the area of gender and the value that we place on male and female. What happened between 1912 and certainly was happening before them between 1912 and 1994 is just one piece of a transformation that we are told in the Bible will take place when people do not keep God at the forefront of what they believe and what they see, and if they lose sight of the fact that He created them in a particular way. And it was a transformation that God informed us would be part of our destruction. 1994, now let's look at 2023. I want to see if you can sense a war on gender in our country and in this culture. Men are being allowed in women's locker rooms simply because they identify more with a woman than with a man. 
There's amazing stories coming out. It seems like there are stories almost every day, certainly every week, that there, there are one from a few weeks ago from the, the YMCA where there was a lady in the locker room just happened to notice there's a man over there in the locker room as well and, and in various stages of dress and she goes and she complains. She says, listen, this is our, the women's locker room and she's chastised by the, the YMCA officials because they said we have to honor what one believes his gender identity is and so you're going to have to live with it. Now imagine what that would have been a hundred years ago. That would have been unspeakable. And yet now the one is protected is the one who it's not really his locker room, but because he identifies himself more with a woman, then he gets to use that locker room and the true woman has to live with it. In public schools across America, students are given the freedom to go into whatever bathroom or locker room they identify with. When it comes to language, people are being fired and potentially charged with crimes because they won't use the pronouns that somebody desires. They're used to saying that that's a male, so that's he, that's him. This is a female, this is she, this is her. And yet there are some who say, I'm, I'm not that, I'm the opposite. And so you have to try to correct it in your mind to say, All right, I know that looks like a male, but I have to say she, because that's what he wants to be referred to as. And then some of them, they don't want to claim a gender, so it's they or it's them. And, and then if you end up using the wrong pronouns, then you can go through some indoctrination if you want to be able to keep your job as long as you will promise to call them what they want to be called. I've been in three different Starbucks recently where if you'll look on their board, they have the names of their baristas, their employees, and at the bottom it will list their preferred pronoun. And they desire that you will call them by their preferred pronoun. This past April the 25th, local officials in Wisconsin accused three eighth grade boys of sexual harassment and launched a Title IX investigation for something called mispronouncing. These children, eighth graders, said they used her to refer to a classmate who wants to be called them, and they just, they just couldn't get that right in their mind. And so they were accused of sexual harassment according to an American law and brought up charges in, in their age. Biological males are being allowed to compete in women's sports if they say they've transitioned to being a woman. Even though their basic biology cannot change and does not change, there is a strong movement against sports teams, even for boys or girls. Companies like Target and Toys R Us have eliminated any advertising or signage concerning the gender a toy is for. You cannot find that there anymore. Schools are eliminating homecoming keen and queen in favor of royalty. Pregnant women are now being re requiring many hospitals are required to call pregnant women birthing individuals so that there's not a discrimination against men and because they believe that they ought to be able to have the idea of birthing even though it's not biologically possible. Many schools are helping kids transition to another gender without even telling the parents. The medical field is heavily promoting surgeries to help transition a boy to a girl or a girl to a boy. All kinds of medicine being prescribed to stop the body from doing what it was designed to do. These are realities 
in our country now. Children as young as four are being allowed to decide they are a different gender and getting surgeries to support that at age four. The idea of two genders is long past. I want you to, if they can bring it up on the screen, I want you to see a current list of gender identities. And you, you may not be able to read these. I, I know it's small. I have it on my phone. I'll, I'll read you some of these. Now, maybe you can see some. This is currently, in America, the accepted number of gender identities. And so if, if you have, if you have a, a, a form, you're legally, you're legally protected by using one of these A-binary, A-gender, ambigender, and androgyne, androgynous, uh, a porogender, autogender, bakla, bigender, binary. It, it goes on and on and on. There's third gender, there's trans, trans female, trans man, trans person. There's tum tum, if you want to be tum tum. <laughs> Any tum tums? Yeah. Watch that boy right there. Two spirit, I can't even pronounce some of them. Thank you. You can, you can take that down. Do you sense, young people, that there's just almost seems like a war on the, the clarity of gender, of there being a man and a woman, and what we valued in 2012 that began to slip over years and, and decades, and now we come to a time where it, it is, it's, it's almost almost laughable if it wasn't so serious what actually is taking place. And you even go into churches and you find whole denominations are redefining what the role of a man and a woman is and that you don't even have to be a particular gender to be a, a pastor or a priest or a, a bishop in certain areas. And you have to wonder with how prominent this is and how widespread it is, what's actually happening? What's taking place? I mean, is, is this just some strange phenomena of, of history? Is this just something that's, that's unique to the United States of America? Why is there such a passionate war on gender? Well, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice in Genesis chapter 1. Let's just read a couple verses here, and then we're going to go to Romans 1. And then I want to illustrate this in a way, and just going to build the foundation tonight, and then we'll build on that foundation tomorrow night and, and Thursday morning. So Genesis chapter 1, notice verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Now that's pretty phenomenal right there. No, no other, no animal has that. No mountain, no ocean, no galaxy has that. Human beings are created after God's image. He said, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, but he's not done. When he's talking about being created in the image of God, he completes that thought by saying, male and female created he them. The thought has to come together. That you are created in the image of God, not just as a human being. You are created in the image of God to bear that image as a male or as a female. You cannot bear the image of God just as a human being or as something else that God did not create. You live the image of God as a male or as a female. Now go to Romans chapter 1. 
Romans chapter 1. There's, there's a, a lot to unpack in this chapter. We're not going to deal with as much of it tonight. We'll probably deal with a little bit more tomorrow night. But one of the things that you would find if you started somewhere maybe around verse 18 and verse 19, you find a process that, that God gives through inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Paul in, in writing in this, this letter. And, and he explains that there's this process that takes place that starts when people begin to not recognize God as God. They don't see Him as the Creator. That, that evolution would, would bring into people's minds that this, is not, this, this galaxy is not evidence that there is a God. It's just chance. It's just evolution. And when people begin to lose sight of the fact that God is a Creator, is the Creator... There are, there are pieces that come after that, and then another piece comes, and then another piece comes, and he covers what those are. But what's interesting is when he starts to get to the end of this process, what happens in this culture, or this community, or in this nature, uh, this nation, or, or in this, this uh, social gathering of people, then we find that after a lot of this takes place, look at verse 21. What we'll begin here, he says, because that... When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Notice, wherefore, notice the terminology here, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own bodies, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So something happened, happening physically here that between themselves, there's some things that God said this ought not be, but is now starting to take place, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. So meaning that something that God set up, they said, that's not really the way that it is. What the Creator said and what, what He created, that's not exactly how we see it. What the creature says it is, is the way it ought to be. So now the creature gets to decide instead of the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So verse 26 brings us to a particular characteristic of this ending. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly or unnatural, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And then he goes on and gives a, a list of things that go with that. But he spends some extra time saying, you're going to know that we are a very long ways down this road when it happens to gender. You're going to see lots of effects, and the, and the list covers a lot of things. But he says, let me tell you some very clear evidences that we're towards the end of this process. In this process, men are going to decide, we don't think gender matters. 
It, it, it's not as important a, as it, it seems to be. In, in Genesis 1, gender is up to God. In Romans 1, gender is up to man. And man gets to decide. Now, I want to illustrate this particular way. Um, I'm going to ask my son and daughter-in-law to come, Daniel and Sarah, if y'all will come. And, uh, and, and so I, I, needed, I needed manly man and girly girl in this case. And, uh, but this happened to be Hawaiian night. So Brother Daniel said, Dad, do I need to come on up here? He said, do, you, do I need to change shirts so I don't you know, look quite so feminine? And I said, no, as long as you're willing to strike a manly pose. So give us a manly pose. Check that out, man. He's, he's got some guns there, huh? Yeah, I like that. All right, all right, good. So, so here, here's, here's what I want to do. Um, Daniel, you come over here. Y'all have done this before. Maybe just stand on that, on the black part right there. Sierra, if you'll go to the same one over there. And so I, I, want, I want to demonstrate this as this is what God intended, Genesis chapter 1. All right, he created them male and female, and, and it's clear that he has a, a difference in mind there. That both of them demonstrate and can give evidence of the image of God, but a man does it in unique ways different than a woman does it. And you might think, well, like, how is, I mean, God is referred to as, you know, as, as he, so how, how can a, a woman do that? That's one of the mysteries of God, but there are elements of how God made a woman that we'll talk about tomorrow night that gives her the ability to, to demonstrate the image of God in her own way just as accurately as a man does. The attributes of God are so many that it's as if he says, I, I'm going to have a, a male who can demonstrate these attributes in a great way, and I'm going to have female, she can demonstrate these attributes in a great way. And, and so God gives them both the ability to live in his image according to their gender, male and female. We could say masculinity and femininity. All right, so, so there's, a, there's a complete, there's a, it's like a battery. There's, there's a, a polarity there. There's polar opposites. But then when we get to Romans chapter 1, then we find that something else is at play. It's completely different. So both of you come here to the middle again, if you would. And uh, Daniel, if you'll stand there. Sierra, if you'll stand in front of him. All right, so this is Romans chapter 1, where there's, there is no difference. It doesn't matter. Gender is irrelevant. It doesn't have to be a man and a woman. I'm not trying to be crude, but it says a, a woman can, it can change against nature. It could be a woman with a woman, what we would term in our culture, lesbianism, or it could be a man with a man, homosexuality. And in Romans chapter 1, because they, they turned the truth of God into a lie, then now there's, there's no real difference between them. Man gets to say what gender is, and if he wants to come up with 90 different forms of gender, then he can do that because it's up to the creature now. It's not up to the creator. So we're going to call this Romans 1. And so we'll say this is zero importance of gender. Now, let me clarify. We, we're going to have a, a scale up here, and it's, it's subjective what the scale is. But the scale can represent two things. It could represent distinction. It could also represent importance, how important the genders are. All right, so now go back to Genesis 1, if you would. So they're going to go to the Genesis 1 position. And I, I want you to notice what, what happens here. So I'm going to have them do something. It's not going to seem very profound, but I, I want you to watch. So I want you all to slowly go from Genesis 1 to Romans 1. So just watch. Go ahead.
Isn't that amazing? It's just profound, isn't it? I, I, can, I can see you're, you're just thrilled. All right. They went from Genesis 1 to Romans 1. And did they do that in one giant leap? How'd they get there? They took steps. They took steps. They started here in Genesis 1, and then somehow over time, they ended up at Romans 1. And you don't, you don't get there in, in a year or five years or ten years or even a hundred years. Go back to Genesis 1, if you would. What happens is, is you, have, you have the way that God created us. And in, even in the United States of America, with all of its problems, even early on, there was a, we had the biblical evidence of, of gender in our culture. And, and that there was male and there was female. There was no idea that there would be anything else than that. And, and the, America wasn't a totally Christian nation, but it was Christianized. And, and so much of it was based on, on biblical teaching and biblical truth, and certainly in the area of gender. And so in the early stages of America, it'd be clear, you know, a man was a man and a woman was a woman. And yet over time, there would be little changes made. That would mean one step. So come this way, just one step. And we don't necessarily have to get into what all of those would be at this, at this point in time. But in that, then all of a sudden we've kind of taken a step away. And, and now culture says, all right, well, this is what a, a man is. And, but it maybe it's like 95% now or, or 90%. And it's not quite as important as it used to be. And then the woman takes a, a step from, from her direction and, and ends up, who knows what that might have been, and any number of things that, that now we don't, we, we're not at 100% of importance of gender or distinction of gender. And there, and there was another step taken from the, the woman, and, and now we're getting, we're getting closer here. And by the way, the, the woman is not looking at Romans 1 saying, oh, that's where I want to go. No, the woman is looking at the man's position and saying, I want that. And so as she's, as she's seeing him, she wants his authority. She wants his pay. She, she thinks, okay, well, well, my value is going to primarily be in, in money, although the Bible says, no, your value when you are a woman is far above rubies. It has nothing to do with money. Don't turn yourself into money value. But she, she buys into that lie and she looks at him. And so she takes another step towards his position. And then before long, this is not her intent, but in a culture... We keep taking steps and more steps. And then men take more steps. And actually, you know, the way the, the men take steps oftentimes turn the other way. You know, it, it, it's not that he's looking back there and saying, I, I, want, I want what she has. No, he is shying away from God, what God wants him to be as a man. And the leadership that he's supposed to provide. And it's just like, man, I don't know. I don't know how to handle these kids. Let her take care of them. And he's taking a step back from what God's version of masculinity and a man is. And so it's not like he's saying, I mean, he might even be tough. He's not saying, I want to be over there in, in the areas of homosexuality. That's not what he's saying. But as a culture, that's where we've ended up. And go ahead and take some more steps back. Hang on. And every one of these, early on, hold on right there. Early on, this, this step might have taken 50 years. The next step might have taken 40 years. But boy, we're down here. 
And we've taken so many steps in the last five years to where we have, we have gone from being able to see our, a clarity of what God intended in, in masculinity and femininity and the, the gender of male and the gender of female, and we have so allowed it to be blurred. Thank you all very much. You, you, can, you can be seated. So many steps have been taken, and now a lot of big steps in very little time. Now, you need to see why gender is such a big deal. Please see it, young people. You know, we, we, need, to be, we need to be grateful that we're Americans. I'm, I'm still, I know we got a lot of problems, but I'm thankful to be an American. You want to know, you know, one of the main reasons, this, this is a heartbeat of Brother Gaddis, certainly very clear. One of the reasons I'm thankful to be an American is because we are a, a missions country. We send most of the missionaries from the United States of America to all these other countries who are godless. They don't don't have the clarity of knowing who God is. And so the United States of America sends missionaries to them so they can know our God because we still get to have churches like you attend. We get to have Bible colleges like Heartland where the gospel is declared and and you know God and many of you grow up in homes and you get to know God and and that's a blessing to you. And, And many of these other nations, some of them they knew God at one time but they got rid of Him. And I get to be an American who is part of the mission sending agency. But what is happening with gender right now makes it clear that we are quickly becoming one of these other countries. We're going down the same path. And, and if, if we don't stop and, and recognize, wait a minute, there's something particular about gender that we don't need to mess with because otherwise when it says God gave them up in one verse, in verse 24, God gave them up in verse 26, in verse 28, God gave them over. He's trying to say, listen, this is a ticking time bomb that you can become a culture that I do not have the same connection with that I did for so much of your storied history as the great and grand United States of America. And he says the one thing that has some of the greatest potential to bring you down is if you don't pay attention to what's happening to you being created in my image as a gender. And you fall for that. Do you know what group in America is changing at a rate three times the rest of the population, age 13 to 17. When it comes to trans, current statistics, 0.5% of 18 years old and older identify as trans. When it comes to 13 to 17 year olds, it's doubled in the last four years and it's now 1.6%. Your group is falling for a lie. Your friends. They're, they're, I would have to think in a, in a group this size, there would be some males, some females who are struggling with the very things we're talking about. And I, I want to tell you, you're at the right place. You're thinking, man, you're just blasting away at all of that stuff. I'm not blasting away at you. I'm, I'm trying to, to declare with a passion 
what God said and what God offers you. Because I want to talk to you tomorrow night about even the greater yes of this aspect that God offers. And, and some freedom that he offers through some of that. But the fact is we have to be abundantly clear. Because you, this group that is here assembled right now. You are susceptible somehow to accepting so much of what is coming out. And at a rate that is unknown in American history. Maybe in world history. Certainly in American history you are changing at a rate that no other group is falling for. And it is imperative that you leave this conference, maybe even in invitation time tonight, being willing to say, God, I I think I've, I've got this right, but I don't want to fall for this because so many of my friends are. So much of social media is portraying it as the latest, greatest trend and that it comes without any major consequences. When instead the Bible says it's dangerous. Now, you know, because your group is part of the problem, you know what that also says? You're part of the solution. We need you. Young people, I'm telling you, as a 60-year-old adult, we need you. They may not listen to me as much. I hope they will. I hope they'll listen to your youth director and your pastor. But I'm telling you, you you are in their age group. And if you can have it very clear in your mind, listen, I am so thankful that I know God made me a male. I was born a male. And that's what God says that I can bear his image in. And that you young ladies, you're like, I'm so thankful that God made me a female. And, and I want to live the image of God. And that I'm going to be grateful for that. I'm going to be thankful that I, that I am clear on that. And I want to be the, the best young lady that God wants me to be and will let me be. I want to be the best young man that God will let me be. And I want to know what the Bible says about how to be masculine and what the Bible says about how to be feminine. And and you can be a missionary. You can be a light to the young people around you in all of that. By seeing your gender as divine, a divine gift from God and embracing the gender God created you as. You know, young people today need to be able to come into a youth group, into your youth group, and see young men and young ladies that are really clear. We know what God made us, and we delight in it. We're, we're, we're not confused about it. We don't have an attitude about it. And, and they can find an openness where they say, man, these folks, are, they're, they're accepting. They're clear on, on who they are, but they are accepting. And they can come in and they can see young men who are men and young ladies who are ladies. And find it refreshing. Can I ask you, where else are they going to see that these days? Public schools aren't going to show them. They're not seeing it on social media. Hollywood's not giving it to them. They have basically one place left. That's your youth group. They need you. Young people, we need you. Be a youth group that shows other youth how important our God-given gender is. We're going to get into more details tomorrow night. But would you be willing to commit or recommit tonight to be sure that every step that you're taking is in the direction of being sure that God has some young people to represent the gender he created them in. And that you would would be very mindful, all right, before I take this step in my life, I'm going to ask myself, is it a step in this direction? Or is it a step in this direction?
and give God an opportunity to lead and guide you in all of those, all of those little things in your life that have, that have the capacity to let other people know God created us either male or female, and we are going to enjoy it. Would you stand with me tonight for a time of invitation?